Today we're continuing in the Sermon on the Mount. If you have your Bibles, you can look up Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> if you don't have your Bible, we'll have some of the scripture up on the screen today. Um, so, last week, when we met, Pastor Jim shared three statements, three of the six statements that Jesus uh, highlights that, that show us how to best uphold the law. You see, one of the things that he said to the Pharisees and the people that were there, really he was speaking to his disciples uh, with those you know, eavesdropping in and hearing in, and he was teaching them a better way. He was teaching them a better way uh, in accordance with the law of the Lord. One of the things that that happens in a Jewish culture is that they, whenever a new teacher arises or someone comes in saying something new, they always want to know where he stands in relationship to the law. Because the law has developed, their, their lives are centered around the law. The, their, their lives are there, their ceremonies are centered around the law, their, their community is centered around the law. So whatever the, the, this new teacher says about the law, their lives hang on it. And their livelihood depends on it. And their community depends on it. And so Jesus' stance when it comes to the law is that he comes to fulfill it, not to abolish it, not to set it aside, not to uh, make it null and void, but to bring fulfillment to it. And so that's Jesus's stance. Jesus shows in saying that he shows his commitment to the law. And one thing's for sure, as you look at, as you read through the scriptures, whenever God does something new, he never gets rid of the old and says, forget about that. Really what he does is brings fulfillment. Everything that the Lord does is building upon what was previously said. So if you think about the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant that God made with Abraham, it was a covenant of a promise that he would receive descendants that would be seed, that he would receive a land that was not his own, and that he would be his descendants and his nation would be a blessing to all the nations of the world. And so when Moses came along, it wasn't an abolishment of that law or that covenant or that promise, but it was in fulfillment of that. Because when you think of the seed, what, what Moses ministers to is to the 12 tribes of Israel. These are the descendants of who? Of Abraham. What, what Moses gives when, when God gives Moses the law is that he gives laws to govern life in the promised land. So this is God's bringing fulfillment, building upon uh, what he had spoken. And he also declared that this nation, the, the people of God, would be a, a blessing to all the nations of the world. They would be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation is what he called them to. So if we fast forward, we go from Abraham, we see that there's fulfillment in the Mosaic covenant of what the promise that God made to Abraham. And then when we move forward to when Jesus comes into the scene, what we see is that there's fulfillment of the Mosaic covenant. There's uh, in, in Jesus Christ, the nations become the people of God. 
So God's desire was not just for the Jews to be his people. God's desire has always been to to include all of the nations of the world. And so the seed that was Abraham's promise actually becomes everyone in the world. You see the fulfillment there? And when in Jesus's life, in Jesus's death, in Jesus's burial, his resurrection and his ascension, all of that brings fulfillment to the law. So his life was a righteous life. His was the only life that that could be categorized or summarized as righteous. And living a righteous life is a fulfillment of the law, not an abolishment of it. It says in the word that Jesus was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. He was the only righteous one. And so this is why his life could be categorized or be summarized as a fulfillment of the law. And so what I want to show you then is uh, also that when he brings fulfillment of the law, when he brings fulfillment, he now calls us into life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Instead of the law being the standard, now life in, is in the spirit is the standard. So Jesus brings something new, but not in replacement of the old. It's in fulfillment of the old and establishing something new, a new way of moving forward. Amen. So when Jesus says, my stance is that I've come to fulfill the law, because anyone who teaches someone to, to, to consider the law as least, who lives that way and who teaches is lesser in the kingdom of heaven. And so when Jesus comes declaring the kingdom, what he comes declaring is the greater things of the kingdom. We, our lives, Jesus' commitment to the law goes deeper than what is written in the law deeper than in their interpretation of the law, and deeper than their application of the law. And like I said, Jesus warns that those who, whoever relaxes one of the commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom. And he says, on the contrary, that whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So I think that it's important for us to pay attention to how Jesus lives the law and how he teaches the law. It's important for us. So last week, we looked at three statements that Jesus made of how to best uphold the law. Really, he elevates the law. When you think of, I like what the uh, ESV says, they relax one of the commands. What you start seeing is that there's, in a sense, Pharisaic loopholes that they go through when when it comes to the law. So they're focused on fulfilling what is written, but the heart is not considered or the mind is not considered in the matter. So when you come across a commandment, you shall not murder, they're fine and and thinking that they're righteous in obedience to that command as long as they don't actually take a life. But the heart of the matter and the mind of the matter is that when you are angry, you are on the verge of taking someone's life. And so Jesus then shows that loophole and elevates it and says, deal with your anger. Instead of being angry, seek to be reconciled with one another. Then he says that you shall not commit adultery. And so the heart of the matter or the the law of the matter is if I don't sleep with another man's wife, I'm good. But the heart of the matter is if you look lustfully at another man's wife, then you have committed adultery in your heart. So Jesus is constantly 
elevating the, the law and going to what really matters. And Jesus calls them to treat lust with the same severity that adultery has in their culture. The same severity that adultery is treated with. Then he goes on and says that whoever divorces his wife, let him give a certificate of divorce. And really Jesus is calling them to uphold the, covenant, the marriage covenant. He wants them to not be flippant with divorce or even divorce with for petty reasons. That's the issue, is that whatever disdain you have or whatever uh, discomfort or expectation wasn't met by your spouse, then that was an excuse to just let me write you a certificate, go on, you burnt my rice and beans, peace out. Right? That's a flippant. Uh, that's that's a, a petty reason to, 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 to not uphold the marriage covenant. Right? So Jesus deals with that and says to them, you need to uphold the marriage covenant. So today, we aim to understand the last three statements, which deal with integrity, with deal with rights, and deal with love. Amen? So let's look at what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, 33 through 37. Press the wrong button. <clears throat> this is the word of the Lord. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply, I guess they didn't have hair dye back then. Let what you say be simply, yes or no, and anything more than this comes from the evil. So the law that they were to adhere to in this moment in, that Jesus is highlighting is, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Everyone agree with that? Yeah, whatever you promise to the Lord or whatever oath that you make to the Lord, follow through with it. But if you look at uh, the, the issue here, oh, sorry, let me just, before I talk about the issue, let's talk about what swearing is or an oath here. To swear is to limit or set parameters around yourself. So to swear to God, in a sense, is to call on God to bear witness to the statement you are making. You're saying that by swearing or calling God as my witness, it is a stamp of approval that what I'm saying is actually true. Everybody following me? Good. And so the vow and the oath could be directed towards God or towards someone else, but God is the witness. Like you can make a promise to somebody else or you can make a promise to God. And when you say, I swear to God, this is my promise, God is presiding as witness over that. And so there is nothing in the Bible that forbids the, the making of oaths in any way. In fact, uh, there's commands in, in Deuteronomy 23 that says that, tell the people, if you make an oath, just know that you made this oath based upon your own free will. And because you made the oath upon your free will, it is also binding before the Lord. So you better be quick to fulfill the promise you made. So it's not saying don't make the, the, the promise. It's saying be quick to fulfill it because you made the promise based on your will, your free will. 
God didn't put a gun to your head or a proverbial uh, lightning bolt to your head to make you swear to him and promise to him. God gave you, you exercise your freedom and your will to make this promise. So follow through with it. So the issue is not necessarily the making of oaths. The, the issue is more that they are careless and flippant about making the oaths. So in ordinary statements in life where, um, where, they, where they're talking and someone maybe not, may not believe what they're saying, they would just say, I swear to God. That happens in our world today, right? I swear to God, I was at the Phillies game, or I didn't cheat on you, or I didn't do this, you know, or I was at the bar. I mean, I wasn't at the bar. I swear to God, you know what I mean? Like those, those kind of things. And when, you, when it says uh, swear falsely, what really it's talking about, it's perjury. It's promising to proceed a certain way while intending to mislead. That's what it is. You're, so when you're in court, you, you uh, vow, you're under oath to speak the truth and nothing but the truth. truth. And so in that, when you make that vow or make that oath or solemnly affirm this before the court, what you're saying is, I'm going to speak the truth. But when you say that statement, all the while in your mind and in your heart, intending to mislead or speak falsely, that is called perjury. And so this is what Jesus is addressing. Not the, not the fact that you're making oaths, but that they're, they're committing perjury in, so, in doing so. So in normal, uh, meaningless statements, they're invoking the name of the Lord. And the other thing that they're doing is that they're, they're also to get around God being the witness of that. They're swearing by insignificant things. So Jesus says to them, Don't, do not take an oath at all, right? Uh, but either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. Let's just say heaven, earth. Uh, Jerusalem, these are insignificant things, right? That's, and so what they would try to do is, I didn't swear to God, but I swore to my mother's grave. So I'm not binding to fulfill this oath because I didn't bring God's name into it. And the point is, Jesus is like, all right, listen, people. Don't use my name or lesser names or insignificant things when a yes or no would just suffice. Were you at the bar? Yes. Is that the truth? Yes. Right? Should you have been at the bar? No. Right? <laughs> that, that kind of thing. Uh, so where, where a yes or no would suffice, don't start swearing. That's what Jesus is, is, is calling. In. He says, don't take an oath at all. So Jesus doesn't forbid us from making oaths promises and vows because that's an exercise of our will and we could absolutely do that but when it comes to things that would suffice with a yes or no let's stop swearing amen and again if you're going to rely if people are going to trust your yes and your no then you need to be a trustworthy person that's why this is an issue of integrity integrity before god and integrity before others so, like I said before, uh, I, when I preached on the, the commandment that said, uh, do not take the Lord in vain, that's the third commandment. I'm testing my mind. Yes, because the fourth is keep the Sabbath. So the third commandment, right, uh, do not take the Lord's name in vain. This would 
this would be part of that. Don't invoke his name, don't call his name to bear witness on something that's not true and that's not good. And the other thing is, do what you promise to do. If you make a vow, if you make a promise, then fulfill it. Amen? That is that. You can ask your discipleship group leader what, whatever questions you have. Let's look at the next statement that the Lord talks about here that deal with rights. It says here in chapter 5, verse 38, if you're following along, it says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. That last statement seems a little disjointed, but it fits in the whole thing. Once we get there, you, you, you'll understand a little bit. So the command that, the, that they're adhering to, that the Lord is bringing forward, is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And so um, this law was given to judges and magistrates, if you look at Leviticus 24, verse 17 to 20 to, through 23, it was an establishment of how judges or elders could rule in favor of or uh, to, to bring about justice or equity in the matter. So this law was given to judges and magistrates to administer justice without excess. So it put a limit it put a limit on what could be done for whatever infraction you owed or however you injured someone. So if you took an eye, then what would be demanded would be an eye, not an eye and an arm and a leg. That would be excess, right? Any time that anyone has taken matters into their own hands, they go way beyond what they should, right? Oh, you took... For example, when I was a kid, and maybe there's no kids here. When I was a kid, um, there was... Uh, a, a guy who would come to our block to buy drugs all the time. And this guy, uh, one night, was found screaming in front of my house. And so, like everybody, you hear somebody screaming. Maybe back then it was. You come out your window and you see what's happening. So this man, um, was. we saw him laying on the ground while another guy was stabbing him. Right on our front doorstep. Right. And so there, he was doing this. What we found out later is that this the guy who was being stabbed was the brother of the guy doing the stabbing. And the reason why he was stabbing his brother was because he stole his mother's earrings. Does the punishment fit the crime? No. In that sense, an earring for an earring. You see, so naturally in our own being, we would want to go the extra mile to inflict extra pain to make an extra point. You understand? And so what, what the Lord is calling is for us to not take matters into our own, own hands as, as was, the, was the loophole or how they relaxed the law. This law was not given so that individuals would take matters into their own hands. It was given to know for the judges and magistrates to govern how they would uh, rule over a certain case. And again, so that there wouldn't be excess but equity. And there would be justice for the injustice. So the law says a human life for a human life. If you kill someone's animal, then you replace it with an animal. 
If you give someone an injury, then it's that an injury for injury, not an excess. But in this case, the issue was that they took personal retaliation and they went above and beyond what was called for in the matter. So how did Jesus then uh, correct this or elevate it? What well, he says to his disciples, um, he says to them, but I say to you in verse 39, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So three categories. A disciple of Jesus who's going to follow Jesus, what he's calling us is to surrender our rights and do more. That's what he's calling When it comes to being a follower of Jesus, we enter into his kingdom, and what we're saying is that we're no longer citizens of this earth, we're citizens of heaven. And there will come a time that as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you you and me are going to, to face unfavorable circumstances. We have been privileged in this country to live in a country that respects the right for everyone to have their own belief. But in a sense, at one point in history, if, this, the, if things change for us, then we would be in this boat. We would be the unfavorable uh, people, and we would be, um, in a sense, having to surrender our rights to follow the kingdom of God. And that's, in a sense, what they were facing, where they were. Israel, in Jesus' time, was a captive nation. And as a captive nation, you faced some injustices that you wouldn't face if you were just a free, sovereign country. And so Jesus is telling them, don't take matters into your own hands. Now, this slap, right, if someone slaps you on one cheek and no one, none of you here are like signing up, sign me up to turn the other, right? In fact, our, our normal and sinful reaction would probably be to retaliate. But this slap is not a life-taking or life-threatening blow. The slap that, that Jesus is talking about is one of an insult. One that just, you know, I don't know if you've seen Bucks Bunny and he pulls the gloves out and just, you know what I mean? And they have a glove fight. That's to insult you. And so how do you handle insults is the question. And Jesus says when insulted, Don't return insult for insult. Retaliation for injustice is a natural response, but this is what Paul says. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So Jesus is calling his disciples first to relinquish their right to retaliate. Especially when you're being insulted for his kingdom and for bearing his name. I know none of us are signing up for this. But yet, this is the call that he has for us. The second thing that he calls us to to release is he says to us, a disciple of Jesus doesn't hold tight to possessions or money. So, Uh, Again, 
If you ever are faced with an injustice, someone takes you to court to sue you, he's saying uh, even the thing that they should not sue you for, give that up. Because if you look at the law in Exodus chapter 22, the very, there, there were things that you could take as a pledge and things that you couldn't. If you took someone's cloak as a pledge, you had to return it. Why? Because that is the only thing that can keep them warm at nighttime. So what Jesus is saying, the very thing that the law protects you to keep, be willing to do a part with it. Give the cloak, not just the cloak, the undergarment. Basically, be willing to walk around butt naked. Because people will take your stuff. People will sue you for those. And he says to the, later on in a uh, verse at the end of that, what does it say? In verse 42, it says, Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who will borrow from you. We shouldn't hold tight to possessions or money. Give to the one who begs, lend to the one who wants to borrow. So really what Jesus is calling for is, not, uh, is for us to relinquish like, I think he's going overboard, personally, in the flesh. That's what I'm saying, right? All right, you, I get the retaliation thing because of eye for an eye. But when you start talking about my money and my possessions and having to walk around butt naked, um, and you talk about, um, you know, having to give money to the poor and things like that and giving to those who don't borrow Jesus, you have nothing, uh, you have no jurisdiction over that. And that's not true. Because when we have been bought at a price, we no longer are our own. And I'll just remind you that all of these things, his disciples will come into to understanding. Right? This is before the cross. This is before the, the cross and the risen Savior and the Holy Spirit indwelling his, his, his disciples or being poured out. And so I'm telling you that they're probably struggling with this too. Because it's like, all right, um, the Pharisees don't say this, <laughs> but you are. Ah, all right, so I'll turn the other cheek. I'll give more than what they're asking for. And then he says to them, uh, learn to embrace interruptions. In a captive nation, if at any point an official of that nation that rules over you tells you, hey, you, pick up my bag and follow me and carry it this place. They were well within their right to ask any of the captives to pick up their stuff and, follow, and, and carry something. Think, for example, uh, Simon of Cyrene. When Jesus Christ was on the way to Golgotha, carrying his cross, the Roman soldier said, Simon, take this cross and carry it. And if Simon did not do that, he, would be, he, can, um, he can be incarcerated for that because it was insubordination. Right? It was a, a rejection of a command that was given by a captive official. And so Simon does take that cross and he carries it to Golgotha where our Savior died. And what I want you to know is that one thing I love about Jesus, we need to pay attention to his life and how he speaks of the law and fulfills it. We also need to know that Jesus never calls us to do something that he is not himself willing to do. That's the sign of a good leader. 
If a leader only uh, tells you what to do, uh, recruits you to do things that they're not willing to do, that's not a good leader. Because a good leader um, is willing to do the very thing that they're asking you to do. So, was Jesus insulted? Was Jesus slapped in the face with insults? Absolutely. He was. And we're told that he did not respond to them at all, that he did not retaliate. He had the authority to call legions of angels to his rescue, but he didn't do so. Was Jesus willing to give up his possessions? Well, if you consider his garments being distributed on the cross, like he, he fulfilled that. His cloak was, was taken from him, right? And he was exposed for all to see in all of his glory. Was Jesus willing to give? Absolutely. Even to the point of giving his life. Was Jesus willing to lend? Absolutely. He gave us his Holy Spirit. That's his. It was his to give. And he gave us that. He gives us a lot of things. The Bible says in James 1.17 that every good and perfect gift comes from him. So everything you have is a gift from the Lord. It's, a, it's, it's something to you from the Lord. God is generous. He will never call you to do what he himself is not willing to do. He went and walked the miles from the place where he was beaten to the place where he would be nailed to a cross under the command of Roman soldiers. Jesus was willing to do what he asked us disciples to do. So the disciples of Jesus' rights, in a sense, will be violated. Yet we should not let that hinder our seeking first the kingdom and our seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. Why? Because the good news is at stake. The good news of Jesus Christ must be seen through our lives even, even when we're responding to persecution and adversity. The very truth is that we're all at God's mercy for vengeance. We're all at his mercy for provision. And we're all at his mercy for our time. Our days are numbered. He knows them. He knows when we're going to breathe our last and he can demand our last breath. Amen? So in Jesus and by the Holy Spirit, we can stop living for ourselves and live for him. This may be a hard thing for us to walk into, <clears throat> but it is definitely something that the Holy Spirit works in your life and in my life towards. I can't explain why my attitude wasn't uh, when my stuff got stolen. I can't explain to you why my attitude was different. I, I did feel angry and things like that, but I never wanted that man to die. I wanted that man to see the merciful God, right? And to experience his forgiveness. And so this, these are the things that Christians do when... <laughs> That, that is outside of your, your flesh and even your normal tendencies, the Holy Spirit will surprise you. And He will lead you into a better way. And that better way is a way of peace. Amen? And you won't have peace if you retaliate. You won't have peace... <clears throat> excuse me. You won't have peace if you hold on to stuff and money 
And you won't have peace if you're not surrendering your time. You won't have peace between you and the Lord. So that's that. Amen? The last statement, he, so we got uh, speaking of our integrity when it comes to oaths. We have speaking about our rights. The conclusion is we live not for ourselves. We surrender them to his will and his way. And we talk about now love, our love. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So the law that they're calling forth is that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And as you look at the Bible, there is no law that says, hate your enemy. They've taken uh, the, the role that the Lord has given them and, um, to, to bring judgment to other nations as an excuse to hate those nations. As an excuse to hate those nations. Just responding to your, to your phone. Thank you, phone. <laughs> so... A neighbor, in their minds, is someone who was a fellow Jew, while an enemy was anyone else. So if you weren't a Jew, whether you're Gentile or Roman, or well, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. So anyone who was non-Jews were hated, and even if you were a half-Jew, you were hated. Samaritans, for example. And so they found it, uh, it's odd that God would call them to be a people of love and care and a blessing to all the nations, but yet they have an attitude of hatred, where hatred was permitted. Now, if the Lord calls us to be a blessing to others, do you think hatred is going to release us to be a blessing to others? Yes or no? No, no it's not. And so, other nations, right, they were created by the Lord to be a blessing to all the nations of the world. But now they've gotten so exclusive to the point where we only love ourselves and hate everybody else. <clears throat> and that is what Jesus is combating here. He says to them, you need to be like the Father who loves everyone. How do we know that he loves everyone? Well, he makes the sun rise on the good and the, the wicked. How does he love everyone? Well, he, when he sends rain, he doesn't just rain on uh, the land of the just and not on the unjust. It rains on both. So what we see here is that in God's common grace, right, in the common grace that he gives, meaning that, that believers and unbelievers, righteous and unrighteous, uh, good and wicked people experience the love of God and the grace of God by the blessings of God through creation. That's what Jesus is saying. And you experience the grace of God and the love of God because you still are alive. And when you are alive, when uh, an unbeliever is still alive, it's an opportunity for them to come in, in and have an encounter with the living God who loves them. 
Because it is appointed for everyone to die, and then there is judgment. But if you die in Christ, then it's going to go well with you. If you die outside of Christ, it's not going to go well with you. So what we're seeing is that God loves everyone, and the evidence of His love for everyone is seen in His creation. But everything, everything that you look at, from Jesus' death all the way to Revelation, everything hinges upon what Jesus Christ did for His people, did for the world. Whenever you speak of love, it's always in connection with the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Love of God is always in connection with what Christ has done. But God demonstrated his love for us, in that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, that we have the creation and evidence of God's love, but we also have the son who came and who lived a perfect life and who died on the cross in substitution of, uh, in your stead as a substitute for you and for me. Anytime the Bible speaks of God's love, it's in relationship post-cross, in relationship to what Jesus did on the cross for us. And that message is for everyone. And his disciples were no longer, even though they were a product of that Jewish nation, were no longer allowed in Jesus and in the kingdom to, be, to, to, to let hatred run rampant in their heart to the point where the gospel would not be preached to other nations. He says to them before he ascends into heaven, go therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Fulfilling the Great Commission would be hard if these, the, the pack of Jews that he has, were hateful. And that is not what he calls us to be. I love John chapter 3, verse 17. It says, God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. Somehow, the church has gotten it in their DNA that we could hate people. That we could go to rallies and go to this and that and stand there and declare God's hatred over people. And that rubs off on you. If you have this mentality that God hates people, you're going to be justified in your hatred. But Jesus doesn't say so there. He says hatred is not permissible. But you need to be perfect like your Father in heaven in your love for everyone. And he says to them, love them. Those who, who revile you, those who persecute you, those who curse you, those who seek your harm. He says to love them. Not just to love them, but he says to pray for them. What did Jesus model for us? When he died on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And these are people who were his people and people who were not his people. The soldiers, the Roman soldiers, were included in that. Father, forgive him, for he knows not what he's doing. So how do we respond to our enemies? We respond to them with love. Romans 12, 19 through 21 says, 
Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, what should you do? Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The Christian life is a life that denies self to the point where we incur and endure insult, persecution, and never lapse in our love for those who come against us. And I don't know what else to do because we're not really a persecuted people yet. And hopefully it will stay that way. But this is something that I think we need to prepare for. We need to prepare to be able to love our enemies. So church, if you have inner conflict with a neighbor, if you have issues with people who are outside of your house, that is your opportunity to show them love. This is how you and I can practice for this day where we become the un unfavorable people in the land. Because the time is coming. Jesus said so. It's not going to get better. It's not going to get better. I'm just going to just... Spoiler alert. I should have given the alert before that, right? But it's not going to get better. And Jesus knowing that calls us into something greater. Cause us into love. So what do we do? We need to respond, I think, today in prayer. And one of the ways that you can, uh, three ways that we, we can pray. Today, repent of your unfulfilled oaths. The, the promises that you've made, the vows that you've made before the Lord. I feel like there's a grace today uh, for forgiveness. For promises you made that you didn't fulfill. Uh, but also... If you have an outstanding oath, then today's the day. Let's fulfill it. Let's follow through with that and see the blessing of the Lord come. Second, today it's another, every day is a good opportunity to surrender your rights. Not to the people, but to the Lord. Not to people, but to the Lord. So that in everything that you face in your day, whether they're insulting you, whether they're taking things from you, whether they're um, <clears throat> demanding things of you, all of that is done in response to the Lord, not necessarily to them. You understand that? You can see that the Lord can move us to, to, to shape our thinking in our heart in that way. So I would like you uh, to pray and surrender to, uh, of your rights to the Lord. And the other thing, if you have an outstanding enemy that you are brooding with hatred with, today is the day to repent of that and to pray for them. What do you pray for them? You pray what Jesus prayed, forgiveness. You prayed what Jesus prayed, mercy. And you prayed what Jesus prayed, love over them. Forgiveness, that God would have mercy on them and that God would lavish his love upon them. So right there where you're seated, uh, it's an opportunity now to respond in those ways. If it's an oath issue, handle that before the Lord. If it's a surrendering of your rights to the Lord, handle that before the Lord. 
if it's praying for your enemies, handle that. And I'll give you maybe a couple minutes, and then I'll close us in prayer. Lord, in this time, we want the mind of Christ. We know what it's like to live with our minds, live with our wisdom, and live with our understanding, but we desire your mind, your wisdom, and your understanding, Jesus. We invite you to take hold of us, Lord, even deeper now, going deeper, Lord, beyond the surface, beyond superficial Christianity, and go into the depths of our hearts and our minds, Lord Jesus, and all the way into our possessions and our stuff and our dignity and all that. Just take a hold of all of that, Jesus. And begin to align our inner world, our inner being, with you, your will, and your purpose, and your kingdom. Those are the kind of disciples that we want to be. We want to say what you said in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come at all cost. And your will be done at all cost on earth as it is in heaven. And we ask, Lord, that you would prepare us. That you would move us in that way, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that we would boast in who you are. I don't feel the need this morning to convince anyone that any of these things are a good idea because you demonstrated that when you gave your life and how you lived your life. So we know that those who humble themselves are exalted. That was exemplified by you, Jesus. So I ask that the meek would arise. I ask that the merciful would arise, Lord that they would receive the blessing that comes from meekness and mercy, Lord. And I ask, Lord, that those who are poor in spirit, Lord Jesus, would continually seek from you, Lord, their sustenance and their life, so that earthly things, Lord, do not take a hold of us, Lord. Let us be people of integrity. Let us be people, Lord, who surrender our rights to you. And let us be people who love, even when it's hard to love. In Jesus' name, amen.